Welcome to the NPH Hour on News Talk Saga 960 AM. I'm your host, Jason Tom, as we continue to share stories about, related to, involving Canadian basketball. And I wanted to start off by thanking you, our listeners, for tuning in here on the radio dial or on the North Pole Hoops YouTube channel, Spotify, Google, wherever it may be. I hope these shows bring some insight and education, whether you're a young player, a parent, grandparent, coach, or just someone new to the sport who's curious about everything that's going on in and around it. Last week, we reached out to France and China. Today, we take a visit to Taiwan to check in with Kyle Julius, the general manager of the Fraser Valley Bandits, who made it to the CEBL championship game at last year's Summer Series. Kyle has some great stories and some great advice to the players back here in Canada who need to find ways to get better without being able to actually play the game right now. It's definitely worth your time. We also say hello to Jack Armstrong, who may or may not tell me to get that garbage out of here. When I ask him about the NCAA then, when he was a Division I coach, versus now. But first, we talk about the WNBA, which is about a week away from tipping off its 25th season, which may be a shocking number for us Canadians because, frankly, the coverage here north of the border for this groundbreaking league has been terrible. But, per usual, we follow the trend of the U.S., and now that they are seeing more interest than ever when it comes to viewership and support, I'm sure we will finally be seeing more and more of the WNBA televised here at home. Currently, there are three Canadians that are signed to full WNBA contracts, Kia Nurse with the Phoenix Mercury, while Natalie Achanwa and Bridget Carlton are both with the Minnesota Lynx. But there is a fourth Canadian striving to be added to that list. British Columbia's Aislinn Koenig, who is in training camp with the Washington Mystics, and the player they call Ace because she's one of the best shooters to come out of Canada, period, is in a better mind space than ever thanks to her time away from North America which allowed her to fall in love with the game of basketball all over again. Aislinn Koenig, British Columbia native, NC State alum, senior women's national team member, and currently in camp with the Washington Mystics, trying to become the fourth Canadian in the WNBA for this coming season. Ace, with the road you've taken, I'm guessing the chance to prove yourself at this level is something you're pretty fired up about. Absolutely. I mean... After not getting selected in the draft last year, which there were obviously the draft is always difficult, so there's no guarantees, but there were some expectations there and, um, you know, kind of coming out of that draft with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, having a chance to work that out here is, um, is pretty exciting. But, I mean, it's pretty amazing how life works. I mean, the Mystics had the final selection in that draft. They pass on you at that point, but that sets you up to go overseas, and really that season could not have worked out any better for you, could it? It really couldn't have. And, you know, looking back on it now with, you know, the 365 days of wisdom that I've gained, um, I feel like it was a blessing in disguise not getting drafted. I think my 
mentality, my physical, um, my physical health, all of that is so much better than what it was when I graduated. University is a lot of fun and it is super stressful. You're constantly running around. Everybody's telling you where you have to be, what you have to be doing, all of this, all of this pressure all the time. So it gets, by the time you've been there for four years, at the end, you're kind of exhausted because it wasn't just about basketball and rightly so you need to get a degree. You need to do those important things, but um, being able to go to Switzerland and just focus on loving basketball and playing it to the highest ability that I can do um, was an experience that I feel is instrumental in me being able to be here in Washington in this moment. That's something that I definitely want to hit on when you talk about the NCAA. Uh, you know, you're fitting into a team game there and a game plan that is all about the team. And then once that's over, it's now all about you. And, and, and how is that switch? It must be kind of, kind of hard to turn that off with the questions you're being asked, for example, you know, by a WNBA team. And you're trying to say like, well, no, listen, I can do more or I can do this. I just wasn't able to show it because of the system I was in. Yeah. And that was actually discussions that I had with Mike Thibault here, um, both on the phone before I got here, before I even had any inkling that I was getting a training camp contract to come to Washington, anything, um, me and ha him have had conversations about, you know, why didn't I get drafted? What, what do I need to do to be in the WNBA, but not only get to the WNBA, but last, like, how do I become that player? And, you know, that was a lot of conversations and he, that was something he touched on and being able to kind of unleash the offense a little bit, unleash the, the energy, all of that um, was something that was incredibly important to my growth because I played in a system where I was, I was the calming force. My job was to be reliable, be consistent, you know, take good shots, but set other people up, run the team. Like that was my responsibility. And I, I was playing in a system that was very controlled, being able to go to Switzerland, rediscover my, my offensive creativity, mm. um, kind of have a chance to fall in love with basketball again now switzerland not a bad place uh to live uh while you're playing basketball and then uh, for you it must have been amazing because you're bilingual you know uh you're, you're you have an austrian citizenship as well so i mean were you super comfortable over there kind of to start all of a sudden you're in a new country and you're three thousand miles away from your family <laughs> and you're um you're surrounded by people you've never met before mm. and you don't have wi-fi yet but you also don't have a, a european phone number <laughs> but i loved it yeah. i absolutely loved it i had my own apartment the team was wonderful the coaching staff was great the organization was incredibly supportive um i was there with taylor coonan from unc and she's okay. now one of my best friends but she used she wasn't hasn't traveled as much as me and she's like you're just so you're just so comfortable everywhere. I, she's like, you speak to everybody and it's, it's easier for me because I speak French, but you speak to everybody and you, on your stories, you're like going to the farmer's market. I love the interactions. I love the coffee, the shops, the way that like you, you are always around people. You always go, you're like, okay, well, we just got done with practice our morning practice, let's go get coffee together. Okay, I'll see you in two hours. We'll do that. And then we'll go get drinks afterwards. So like that kind of thing was just 
amazing for me and I love that because I'm not super social but like having the opportunity to like do those little things with people that you don't really do here in the U.S. because it always feels or in Canada because it always feels like you're on the go yes you always have somewhere to be or something to think about or something to work on and then you're out in this thing and you see these same people drinking coffee at this place for three hours every day (laughs) and I was like wow I think I think I could really just stay here in Europe I think I could do this it seems like a pretty nice life now how much did your family help you through all of this because you come from a basketball family your dad was a coach little sister is also coming up and playing the game so uh how was it to be able to kind of rely on that again when you're on the other side of the world if you need somebody different uh to talk about the game my family um is incredibly supportive and so unbelievably frustrating all at the same time because of that basketball knowledge oh yeah okay they, they just it. know like you know like it's like like they'll they'll say something I'm like guys I am 22 years old I'm a professional I know what I'm supposed to be doing like my mom goes so like you should just like you know try to get a double double I'm like thanks mom good advice I think I will finally try to go out there and get a double double and you know what the crazy thing was and she'll never let me live this down the next game I went out and got a double double and she thinks it's all her it's it's all her (laughs) all her credit I knew what I was talking about yeah she's like why did it you see you just had to try and I was like okay thanks mom That, no, I could see how that would be. And then, uh, so uh, how about your other basketball family, the Canada basketball family? Because I know there's so many vets playing overseas uh, and, and a lot of them in France, but they were kind of just everywhere across Europe. Um, you know, was there anybody that you were in contact with consistently? Is there someone who was, you know, uh, the one right there to kind of help you along? It must be helpful to have that kind of supporting cast alongside yourself. Yeah, I mean, it was really good because Team Canada was doing a really good job of getting us all connected once a month. So we were talking on being able to see everybody, like catch up, talk about seasons, talk about injuries, talk about all these things. And it was kind of like almost we did our business and afterwards it was almost like a therapy session of we just got to unload it all, which was really nice. But somebody who has really been reaching out to me and kind of, you know, checking on me was always Niall. She's known me for forever my dad used to coach at SFU like back when I was in middle school so I actually would work out with her and watch her play and and honestly like who could have thought now we're playing on the Olympic team together but like I'm this little gangly like front bangs braces like and I'm just like out there playing with them all the time and then I came to Team Canada she goes wait I know you I go yeah you do (laughs) and so (laughs) And so she, she has been, you know, reaching out to me and checking in and just wishing me luck and everything. And that has been um, really, really special for sure. So that's somebody who played in the WNBA and, and now has, has almost kind of taken a step back from there as well. So, you know, maybe talk to me about that. And, and we see it also on the NBA side where, you know, maybe having a little bit more comfort or guaranteed option overseas may actually be better uh, than the pro uh, situation in North America. I've already signed for my next season. Okay. So I'm, I'm heading to Belgium. I already know where I'm going. Um, I'll be playing with Castor Brain in Belgium as long as everything, you know, works out and I'm able to get there. Um, so having that peace of mind of, okay, well, like I, this is, this is my dream and this is, you know, 
a big part and I want to get this done. But in the back of my head, I know, okay, but it's okay. Like if it doesn't work, I still have a job. You do it because you love it. And because Mm -hmm. it's, it's a pride thing. You're like, I'm here, I'm doing it. And it's this great opportunity. I'm proving it. I'm in the WNBA, but as you see with like Brianna Stewart and Diana Trazzi and all these who go over there and they play and they go and what happened this is crazy with me Brianna Stewart you know gets injured in Russia and people are oh why are you playing in Russia and she goes guys I make nine hundred thousand dollars in Russia why am I playing in the U.S. Mm, like and you know and so it's it's that moment of like it's like we're here because we love it and we love this organization. We love what it means for the women and the world and all of this stuff. And we play really hard and it's the dream and it's the top echelon, right? But it having that in the back of our mind that we have that job security over in Europe is for sure a very calming factor in all of this. That's that's really, really great insight to get out there to the next generation of you know women basketball players. And and that's something I want to ask you about is so when I last crossed paths with you, it was at a Canada basketball camp where some of these young girls were coming in for the first time. So Aaliyah Edwards, uh Letitia Amahare, Alyssa Jerome, Shayna Pellington, all four of them end up in the final four this past year. And obviously you had great success at NC State as well how cool was it to kind of be able to sit back and watch, you know, not one Canadian, not two, but four Canadians, one on each team in the final four, how far the sport is coming. I think it speaks volumes to the growth of Canada, the basketball and the community of basketball in Canada in general. Um, You know, they're all from Ontario. So I would like to say we need some more BC people in there, but um, I knew that was but, coming at some point. <laughs> yeah, of course. But I love all of them. I've, I played with every single one of those girls on a, on a team in Team Canada. So they're all amazing people. And being able to see that Canada basketball is not only growing, but it's getting recognized. And we're in these big moments doing all these things um, is super exciting. And I think it speaks volumes to the potential of where it could be like having these conversations of, you know, you're one of four WNBA players who are Canadian and you go, Oh, well that sucks. <laughs> like, yeah. in the grand- like that kind of sucks. Like, okay. like, yes, it's wonderful. I'm so excited to be a part of it. But at the same time, you would, we have such talent. We have all this stuff. We want, we want it to grow and seeing all these talented players in the NCAA being in these big moments and getting that recognition, I think is the first step to not ever having to have that conversation again of, well, you're one of four. Well, listen, hopefully I'm going to be one of many. Well, what's going to help that as well is what's coming up, the Olympics. And, you know, already booked your ticket. The, the, the women's side is already on their way. What would it mean to you and to that collection of individuals to stand atop the podium? The Olympics, same as WNBA, has been a dream. I mean, even even maybe more so than the WNBA as a kid because because – we didn't have that visibility. I never saw a Canadian really playing in the WNBA for, and to be completely honest, I never really saw a WNBA game mm-hmm. because we didn't have coverage in Canada, but we always had the Olympics. And for me, it was more, I probably the Olympics came before, you know, WNBA because I saw it and I was like, I want to do that. I want to be there. So to, this is building up to a podium run to winning a medal has been something that, you know, 
it's been talked about for the last three years that I've been with the team. And we've just been constantly, this is what we're building up. We're trying to get here. We're going to go to Tokyo. We're, we're going to do a podium. That's our goal. And if that, we can actually experience that moment after all this preparation, all of that work, um, I think that'd be incredibly special. Aislinn Koenig, they call you Ace. And I wish you nothing but continued success, not only in this camp, but in the years ahead. But, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you've already won in a lot of ways. And more importantly, um, you know, you're such an inspiration. You brought up British Columbia. And I know the people out there, men and women, are looking up to you and what you've done. And, uh, you know, I look forward to kind of following along and reconnecting at some point. And uh, if I don't talk to you, good, good luck getting ready for the Olympics and everything that you have going on. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Now, there's been a lot of talk about Canada basketball's last chance to qualify for the Olympics this summer on the men's side and which NBA players will be available. But the sooner we all start to understand how special our women's team is at this exact moment, the better. We have young stars in the NCAA, impact WNBA and international pros, along with veterans finishing their careers with a run to the podium. It's truly a special time for women's basketball in Canada, a launching point, if you will. And over the next few months, I am going to bring you as many of their stories as possible as they prepare for a tournament that they have been working towards for about three years now. Next, we head to Taiwan to check in with Kyle Julius, who's coaching in his second different country in the Far East, while also continuing to build what he started last year right here in the CEBL. KJ shoots from the hip. You want to stick around to get inspired. This is the NPH Hour on News Talk Saga, 960 AM. You are listening to the NPH Hour on News Talk Saga 960 AM. I'm your host, Jason Tom. Last week, we visited with two Canadians plying their trade overseas. And this week, we do the same by heading back to the Far East to check in with Kyle Julius, who's currently coaching a pro team in Taiwan, while also maintaining his role as the general manager of the Fraser Valley Bandits, a team that Julius took over last season as GM and head coach, leading them to the title game at the CEBL Summer Series. And the very next day, got on a plane with his wife and two sons to begin their life in a brand new country. But it wasn't the first time that they had done this. Previously, Julius had coached in Vietnam, an opportunity that came about after he led a team of Canadians to a gold medal at the William Jones Cup, an international basketball tournament organized by the Chinese Taipei Basketball Association. That opportunity has now led Julius to coach for a living, while giving his young family a chance to live in a country that is essentially COVID-free, while still being able to build a franchise back here and help a new league in his home country. But all of this came from KJ being a gym rat, who put in the same work, day in, day out, that he expects from every player he has ever coached or trained. Kyle Julius, the general manager of the Fraser Valley Bandits, just led the Formosa Dreamers to their first ever playoff series win. I mean, KJ, previously you helped build a program in the first ever basketball league in Vietnam. You're just building around the world. Meanwhile, you're also doing work back here in Canada from a distance. What what feeling does it give you to be able to build basketball in all these different cities across the world? You know, for the last year or so, there's no 
feels like there's no time for feelings. I just, it's just work, right? You just, you just keep working away and, you know, focusing on the task at hand. You know, luckily I have a, you know, an amazing wife beside me, behind me, pushing me, you know, sometimes she's the best coach going, you know, her advice and, 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 uh, she's relentless. And so, you know, traveling from country to country lately, um, you know, two young boys, a 10 year old and an eight year old, um, I just been working. Um, you know, the, the experience in Vietnam was absolutely phenomenal. It was, it's, it's a long story on how I got there, but it started out like no way I, there's no basketball in Vietnam. And then I realized that they were participating in a really prestigious international league. And so then that was, that, you know, that became interesting. And we went there and, and the basketball was maybe 30 years behind what I was used to in Canada, you know, from facilities to just how they did things. And so it was hard for me because I'm an intense guy and I was used to things this way. And so, you know, we went through that grind and, and, and I'm sure a lot of people in that situation thought I might've been a little bit crazy or whatever, but, but we, we, they had never had a winning season. We had a winning season. They had never won a playoff game. We, we won a playoff game and then we won a lot of games we weren't supposed to win. And even I probably lost a few that we might've even should have won, but, but I felt like we really um, grew as an organization and a, and a coaching staff. And I made some incredible friendships and, and built some incredible relationships. And then, that opportunity turned into the opportunity in Taiwan, which was a hundred times farther ahead than, um, you know, Vietnam, as far as their basketball infrastructure, their, their federation, you know, their, their growth and development, their fan base, but they do this things their own way here. And I've, I've learned that the hard way in, you know, all kinds of different situations on the court, off the court. Um, and so that's, been incredible and and this organization's only only this is their fourth year um they had never won a playoff game in their four years um and we got to do that a couple or earlier last week and then we just won game five of a best of five last night so now we're actually heading to the finals you know so uh, of a new of a brand new league that they built in taiwan because of covid being a part of a new league and and you know winning games that maybe you shouldn't have you know, I'm going to jump right ahead to the CEBL, the Fraser Valley Bandits at the Summer Series last year. Uh, you know, written off before it started by a lot of people, not this guy. Uh, just had to throw that in there. But uh, j- just, you know, maybe looking back onto that and how special I know those players were to you, but then how special it was to go out and execute almost to perfection uh, what you guys wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, how lucky am I, right? I, I, I just told you about, you know, being in Vietnam and having this great experience, and then I get another opportunity in, in Taiwan, and then sandwiched in between that, I get to participate in uh, the CEBL, which is, you know, magnificent. You know, just, just it's magnificent because that's a word I would use because it's all these little things that have come together to make it work. You know, they decided not to do it during the traditional basketball season, they decided to do it in the summer and that's unique. And then they've got guys like Mike Morreale, you know, who aren't really basketball guys, but you know, are incredible, you know, have incredible sports backgrounds and, and, and Mike has his accomplishments as an athlete and then as a business guy. And, and, you know, and then they, they went out and they hired all these people um, that understand, you know, not just basketball, but you know, how to push a league or how to push an organization or a business and, and make it work. They did all these little things. And then all these little things had to come together outside of what everybody was doing to make it work from, you know, working through COVID and all these things. So, yeah, I mean, I can't say enough about the CEBL. Um, and then my experience in the CEBL was 
pretty similar, pretty relative, pretty proportional to my experience with basketball in Canada. I've always been a, a guy who's never really been involved with, with the national team, you know, a little bit here and there. I've never really been involved in, you know, youth sports. I've kind of been on the outside, you know, relationship-wise, business-wise, basketball-wise. I started my own business in basketball, you know, in 2008, and it was kind of like an independent thing and never really associated with everyone else. So, you know, to be um, – to be involved with the CEBL and, and, and to kind of have a group of guys that were also on the same, in the same boat. Right. We were all like, Hey man, we're, we're kind of underdogs here. We're, we're outsiders. We don't get picked for basketball Canada or we don't, we, or we, I've, this player has been overlooked and that player has been overlooked. And so we all came together with a chip on our shoulder. And then it was funny because like you said, before it was even started, everybody said we were too small or, you know, weren't good enough or didn't have enough big names or, you know, whatever the case may be, we, we shouldn't, we, you know, I think people had us picked last out of, out of the seven teams or whatever. So to be in the finals of that uh, was also very special. You know, we, we wanted to be able to win it, but, you know, missing an import, a couple injuries, and then you got to take your hat off to Edmonton. They just jumped on us from the start and really executed, you know, really well-coached team. The CEBL is phenomenal. Um, I've been around a lot of leagues now. Um, the way they operate is as good as any league I've seen. Probably the best that I've been around as far as the way they operate. Um, our league here in Taiwan has a lot, can learn a lot from them and even maybe vice versa. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, just really special. CEBL is just flat out special. The pupils of A-game hoops just yep. absolutely killing it across the world right now in all these different leagues. And, you know, the one that jumps out to me right away is Kevin Pangos. Have you been surprised of what he has been able to do? No, I mean, literally step by step from when he was really young, he was just ultra impressive, right? Like just played the game with this incredible calmness and confidence, like incredible. I mean, his physicals are below average, you know, and um, he just he just dominates the basics, right? Like he just dominates the basics. And what happens in the game nowadays is, most people don't even work on the basics anymore, let alone dominate them. The whole A-game hoops thing, you know, we started um, 2007, 2008. And I think at the time we were doing it differently than a lot of people. There weren't, you know, trainers, so to speak. But I never took the whole trainer approach. It was more of like a coaching approach. Like we would do individual workouts, but, you know, or even like small group workouts. But I'd be on them like I was coaching them. And we had a game on that. Friday night and it was Wednesday and you got to lock in and we can't take any reps off and conditioning is everything. I'm going to make you work while you're tired. And, you know, we would play one-on-one -on -one in every workout and, you know, we just really beat the guys up and really teach them what we, what I thought at the time really was, you know, next level training and Kevin Pangos. And there were so many, the, one of the craziest ones right now is, you know, Marcus Carr. So, you know, the younger brother of Dwayne Notice, I started with Dwayne, who am I love, and Dwayne is still to this day one of the best workouts I've ever had with the guy. He, he's just a beast in a workout. He brings his younger brother. I think Dwayne, I want to say, was maybe 10th grade. And Marcus, I'm pretty sure, was like 11 or 12 years old. And Kevin Pangos was in the workout. And we start, and Marcus starts jumping in. And I'm like, no, 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 this is not for, you know, you know, pre-teens, you know, and I think, I can't remember exactly if he either, we either kind of kicked him out of the initial workout and then he came back or he jumped back in that workout. But one of the two, we just let him work out. And then before you know it, 
there's this 11, 12, 13 year old kid who is like up there standard wise with all the D1 guys in the drills. I remember saying to maybe it was even Tarek and the guys at North Pole Hoops, but Marcus Carr is the real deal, man. Like the real, real deal. Like he's going to play in the NBA. And he, I don't even think he was in high school at the time. Another kid who's really interesting story is Cassius Robertson. So Cassius Robertson, you know, now who is maybe top 10 Canadians in Europe, you know, what he's doing at the level he's doing it at, that was in all those workouts. He was one of the regulars and Cassius had no offers, but I knew the staff at Canisius and I drove Cassius to Canisius and like basically made them, you know, look at him. And then, so that whole story was incredible. He, he gets the offer. I mean, he did the work and, and he got it. I helped him, you know, get there. But then by the time he's a senior, he's, you know, at Missouri scoring 15 a night in, in the SEC. Yeah, there's a lot of great stories and you get to see these. I, I watched so many of them play in the NCAA tournaments and then maybe, maybe even get a looks in the NBA and then the G League and then, you know, some are overseas, like just all around the world. And, uh, and then the coolest thing was tying it all back to the CEBL. I got to coach against them or uh, even some of them in the CEBL, which was really cool. Like that was kind of, kind of creepy, made, made me feel like old really fast, but um, that was really special too. Yeah. Last thing I want to ask you about, uh, I, I think there's some people out there that need a little, you know, a little KJ in their life right now uh, because yeah. we're back here. We're not able to play basketball, man. And, yeah, and you're over there able to live it. And, you know, this has all got to come to an end one way or another soon enough. But until that point happens, you know, what can you say, you know, to a kid out there who is just saying, man, like I'm just lost right now. It doesn't matter about the age. You know, what would you say to him if you had an open mic right now? Yeah. So I'll give a quick story and, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll answer that question through this story. So we cut a couple kids. So we signed our CEBL team, you know, for this year, we, we completed the roster and I cut two kids. Okay, because they weren't doing the workouts, right? We we uh, we were building a culture, and they, they just weren't doing the workouts for for different reasons. And you know, last year when um, we were all in lockdown, and we had a couple months before CEBL season started, we didn't know if it was going to be a bubble or an abbreviated season or whatever the case may be. We all got together. I sent out the workouts, and. Um, I held the guys accountable to the workouts. And the story was, I don't care if there's COVID-19. I don't care if you're locked down. If you can go outside and work out and run, you can get better. 80% of the game, you play without the basketball. So if you're like, I, the gyms are closed, I can't work on my game, you're just lying. You can't work on 20% of your game. But you can heighten your conditioning, heighten your speed, heighten your agility, heighten your strength, build mental toughness. Right. And that's 80% of the game. You can't get outside. You can still work out in your apartment, you know, or your house or your basement or your garage or your bedroom. You can run on the spot. You can do burpees. You can do a thousand push-ups. You can do a thousand sit-ups. You can get a book about Marcus Aurelius and read about stoicism. You can get a book and read about some of the great players in the game. You can read and follow, you know, online YouTube. You can listen to podcasts like this. I mean, just to hear this stuff, it bothers me. I've had dark days in this thing. I've had some really dark days, man, in this whole thing and even some dark weeks. But I've always found that getting out and pushing myself and pushing my body and staying the course to whatever the game plan may be that I've set um, has created not only small incremental successes, but it's just made me feel better. And then you know what it's allowed me to do, Jay? It's allowed me to give. Now I can push 
my kids. I can push my wife. I can push my players. I can push the guys that I used to train that are talking and asking for advice. I feel like I can give the right advice because I'm going through it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of living it. I just think that this lockdown has been really hard and really hard on a lot of people. And I, but I do think that people can get out and really push and really get better. I've seen it. I've seen stories of it. I've, I've, I've experienced it my own way. The problem with basketball and basketball players is the second you sit idle, someone else is going to take your job. Someone else is going to take that scholarship. Someone else is going to take that opportunity on a team. Uh, someone else is going to get a little bit better while you're not, and it's going to hurt. And and that's that's this business, especially in Canada now. Man, the competition, the volume of competition, the amount of great players for every good player is unbelievable. You know, and so you just don't want to sit idle. You don't want to let anything slow you down because I I have kids. I know there's guys out there really pushing themselves right now. You know, and um, yeah, it would be it would be a shame for someone to really just get broken by it and 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 not try and fight through it. Kyle Julius from Taiwan, I appreciate the time, and and hopefully uh, we help somebody listening at home today. You got it, man. You heard Julius mention that they've rounded out the roster for the Bandits for the CEBL season, but since he will be remaining overseas, David Singleton has been elevated to head coach after he had been on multiple coaching staffs alongside Julius, including last season at the Summer Series. It's another chance for Julius to pay it forward, providing an opportunity for someone he considers a brother to him. Coming up next on the NPH Hour, we say hello to someone every basketball fan in Canada knows. Jack Armstrong, Toronto Raptors TV analyst, is coming up next here on News Talk Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back to the NPH Hour on News Talk Saga, 960 AM, where we cap off the show with a man that needs no introduction. Jack Armstrong has become synonymous with Raptors coverage, but he is also a champion about Canadian basketball as a whole, so he was a perfect guest to have on our show. Jack Armstrong, Raptors television analyst, former Division One coach in the first non-Canadian to come on the NPH Hour. Coach, thank you for making history in our little corner of the radio and, and podcast universe. Well, thank you. It's an honor and privilege. And uh, wow, yeah. so like people from all over the world, and I'm the first one to get on this, that's not a Canadian. Pretty cool. This has got to be the longest you've been physically away from the game, from the arena, from the players. Um, it's been a long time. Do you miss it? I do a lot. Uh, you know, I, I think you, you do the best you can uh, calling games off of television. I literally stand the whole night. I, last night I worked the Raptors Clippers game, a late night game, and I'm standing drinking green tea and pacing back and forth and trying to stay as engaged and enthused about it as possible. And, you know, th there's not a lot of fans there. The players and, 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 and coaches and staff, they're all trying to generate their juice, the enthusiasm. Uh, and I think we're trying to do the same thing. And, and you know, obviously it's a people business. So to, uh, to the connection on a daily basis of being around players and coaches and scouts and executives and refs and media uh, and, and most importantly, fans, uh, when you don't have that to feed off of and, and the storylines that just naturally develop by a, a just the basic human interaction. Uh, it makes it that much more challenging because 
these these people are not uh, numbers on a piece of paper that you just uh, statistically quantify it. And and no, it has nothing to do. It has something to do with that. Uh, but you know, it's it's the storylines. It's the storytelling. And storytelling and storylines get a little bit harder and more challenging uh, when you're distant. And uh, nonetheless, I think we're trying our best and doing our best to to make it happen. Uh, but I hope, you know, after going through the bubble and now through the entire th- of this season, that next season we're able to knock wood, get back to some degree of normal. You know, you talk about, you know, the storylines and there's been so many good ones in the NBA and the Raptors this season. One that I wanted to hit on with you is the different paths that players are taking now to the NBA. Uh, D2, D3, junior college, uh, you know, some international players coming back and and playing big minutes as well. Uh, Is that one of those things that coaches value what players have had to put in to reach their dreams and the work they've had to put in instead of sometimes being given given to them because of their raw talent and athleticism? Well, I, I would agree 100% with that. And I, I think the better organizations understand the fact uh, that it's not, uh, hey, go from Duke to uh, playing or go from North Carolina or UCLA to playing. Uh, there's a lot of twists and turns along the way. And if, you, and if you're a good basketball scout, if you have a good eye for it, uh, then you should be able to identify uh, that a guy has it. You know, and there are certain qualities a player might have that uh, the better scouts and the better organizations do their research and understand that maybe the fact that the guy didn't play at a big school like a Pascal Siakam or a Fred Van Vliet, for example, uh, doesn't mean that they can't be very, very good players in the NBA. Um, so to me, you know, like I'm looking at the Raptors play the Clippers last night, the four best players on the floor, Fred Van Vliet, undrafted Wichita State, Siakam, late first-round pick out of New Mexico State. That's not UCLA or Duke, okay? And then on the other side, you have Kawhi Leonard, who was not a lottery pick out of San Diego State. Uh, he didn't go to UCLA or Cal or, uh, you know, one of those, Stanford or one of those places. And you got Paul George. You know, Paul George went to what, Fresno State. Uh, you know, people were looking at Larry Bird when he drafted him. Like, what, what are you doing with this guy? You know, and so to me, my point is there's a lot of different paths. And I think the, the, the better organizations and better scouts uh, appreciate the fact that uh, Duncan Robinson could play Division Three basketball and then go to Michigan. Uh, but he has a world-class skill. And, you know, you got you to gotta find that. Uh, so, yeah, to your point, I, I think that uh, organizations are getting more creative. Uh, they're digging deeper. They're doing a better job because the, the lazy way to do it is to say, well, this guy uh, plays at Michigan or this guy plays at, uh, you know, this powerhouse or that powerhouse. And automatically you put them right at the top of the list. I think the better scouts now do a more thorough job uh, of saying, hey, we're going to look at this case by case. And all you have to do is just evaluate that guy against the group. Sometimes you don't have the ability to evaluate him against top competition because they're not in a particular league that you see that. But nonetheless, you the job of a scout is to project, uh, being able to project and say, 
If I take a Duncan Robinson, where do I see him projecting? Can he get his shot off? Can he get his game off? Can he guard? So those are all things that come into play. NCAA then and now. You know, it's 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 quite a difference, and you see the transfer portal. You know, the one and Duns was was the big one. You know, starting up about fifteen years ago, ten years ago, and then now the coaching carousel that we're seeing. I mean, you you coached for almost ten years at, at Niagara University. That seems to not be the common way. Like, it, is building a program becoming a thing of the past in a lot of different ways in the NCAA level? You know, I spent 14 years as an NCAA Division One coach for Fordham University in New York. Uh, one as an assistant at Niagara, nine as the head coach. Uh, I would say uh, that model no longer exists. Uh, it's like being a junior college coach now, really. I mean, you're literally recruiting every year for the entire team again. Uh, you are, it's, it's a team, not a program. You know, the logical progression, creep, crawl, walk, run of building a program where a kid maybe didn't play a lot in his freshman, sophomore year, but then he was an under, upperclassman, uh, paid his dues, that kind of thing. That doesn't exist anymore. You're literally recruiting your own players every year. People are tampering with your players. Uh, it's the Wild West. There's no honor among thieves. It's a cesspool, in my opinion. Um, and look, yeah, I, I'm all for athlete empowerment. I agree with it. I think it's right. Uh, coaches shouldn't just be able to leave and go here, there, and the other thing. If they do, then I think the player has the right to go somewhere else. On the other hand, if the coach is there, uh, I, 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 I think that th there comes a point where it's just too easy to get out of things. Uh, we're seeing all these guys jump in and out of situations and they don't even know where they're going. They're throwing themselves in the portal and they have no opportunity to go somewhere else. Uh, people are giving them bad advice. And again, I think the, uh, I don't know, I feel pretty good overwhelmingly about the relationships I have with my coaching colleagues from the time I coached. Uh, I don't think I could coach in this environment now because I couldn't trust anybody. Uh, because uh, to me, it's, 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 you know, and, and a, a kid will sit with uh, face to face with you. And then a day later, because another school is on the phone through a third party tampering to get that kid, he walks in the next day and he's out the door. I mean, what happened to our relationship 24 hours ago? So to me, uh, it's, it's a hard environment to coach in. You literally have to have the mentality that all I'm doing is building for next year and nothing else matters. And then we regroup. Uh, maybe uh, maybe we play musical chairs and you decide to jump in the chair again. Maybe you don't. If not, okay, nice knowing you. Move. I'll move to the next guy. And I, here's my biggest problem with it. I think it's, it's, it's really going to have a difficult uh, impact on college athletics because there are still people that are longtime Providence Friar fans and longtime Iowa Hawkeye fans and longtime uh, Stanford fans that have been going to games for 37 years. And now they go to games, they're like, I don't even know who these guys are. And I'm hearing that from people all the time that they have no idea who they're going to watch. So there's no connection, no storyline. And I think what's happening is it's, it's diminishing the product. And I think you're seeing it reflected in on campus uh, when we get back to normal 
on-campus uh, attendance at games that, you know, how do you even know who these guys are? You need a school, bo- a school book every year because the roster is all new. Uh, I think that's hurting our game. Here in Canada, though, it seems like things are turning around when we get it back. I mean, U Sports basketball, the talent is higher than it's ever been. We now have a pro domestic league that is 70% Canadian. How important is it to really build up the infrastructure here in Canada at the grassroots, post-secondary, and pro level for the strength of this sport in Canada going forward? 23 years with the Raptors and, and pro, the t- previous 10 years at, at being at Niagara, Niagara University sits on the Niagara River, which separates the United States from Canada. I spent a lot of time recruiting in Canada. So I, I, I have a 33-year perspective on it. And to me, uh, you know, Canadian basketball obviously is the fastest growing sport in Canada, that and soccer. They're the growth sports. So, uh, you know, if, it's, if it was a stock, buy, sell or hold, I'd buy you know, and uh, I, I, I did a, a hosted a symposium for Canada Basketball University of Toronto uh, about two months ago. And, and the two things I said was, number one, good is the enemy of great. Things are really good right now. But it's the enemy of great. We can't settle. There's a whole nother gear we got to get to. And my other theme was the best is yet to come. And to me, uh, to your point, I think the best is yet to come because of of the infrastructure that's being put in place right now. Uh, The opportunity for young Canadian girls and boys to play basketball and to have quality coaching and to have quality opportunities uh, is growing exponentially right now. And to me, I'm so excited about it. So as I reflect on my 23 years with the Raptors, and, you know, as, as much as my job is to sell the Toronto Raptors, my job is to sell the NBA, all 30 teams, and my job is to sell the game, period, as an ambassador. I, I always say I'm like a caraway seed in the bakery of life. You know, I'm a, a small little speck. Nonetheless, I am a speck, and we all have that little role to help promote it. And to me, I'm looking at it right now and saying, this is an incredible opportunity. Everyone talks about the Vince Carter effect. Well, the Raptors won the title in 2019. Um, you know, to me, I, I'm just a big, big believer uh, that the chances are now. And I'll give you one quick story that I find fascinating. Uh, and I happened to me personally. I was at a golf tournament in Halifax uh, about a, less than a month after the Raptors won the title. And... Uh, I'm at this golf tournament and I spend a little time chatting with Sidney Crosby and Nathan McKinnon and all these guys, you know, I'm excited about meeting those guys for the first time. And they're really cool guys. And we're chatting and all they wanted to talk about was basketball. So the question I had for them was, Hey, Nathan, Hey, Sidney, if you were five, six year old little boy right now, would you be picking up a ball or would you be picking up a stick and skates? And, you know, I look at those two guys, those are world-class athletes. Like, they're elite. Uh, They could probably be a center fielder. Uh, They could probably be a midfielder. They could probably be a point guard. Uh, They could probably be a quarterback or whatever. And, and, you know, like, they're elite. You know, you put them in any sport and you teach them the sport, they're probably going to be a Division I player, maybe a pro. So I'm like, 
And they look at me like, wow, good question. So my point is, can we get that little girl that maybe wants to play soccer and get her to play basketball? Can we get that little boy that wants to play hockey and get him to play basketball? That to me is the next frontier. You know, like, can we get to the point where now it's so commonplace that people are like, well, you know, I'm Canadian. I want to play basketball, you know? And to me, that is because you look at the fact that Canada is number two in the world in representation in the NBA and all the young ladies playing in the WNBA and playing overseas, the whole thing. And I always reference it, uh, both the young ladies and the guys. I mean, why does Canada not have a, I brought it up at this symposium. Why does Canada not have a WNBA team? Mm -hmm. Why does Canada not have two WNBA teams? Why does Canada not have a second NBA team? I mean, aren't we a mature enough market now after 26 years of the NBA to have a team back in Vancouver, maybe a team in Montreal? I don't know. Uh, and, and, and the Raptors are the national team. Uh, why can't we have another baseball team? Why can't we have the Expos back in Montreal? But my point is, I think uh, there's a great opportunity and it just needs some investment and commitment from people at the highest levels as well. Like we talk about the lowest levels of kids wanting to play, but we also need investment at the highest level of, of, of a person or persons or a company to say, hey, this is a good investment I'm going for. A hundred percent correct. I talk about it all the time and it's really corporate Canada. And I think it's changing because I think those decision makers, their kids, as you mentioned, are now playing basketball. They're not in the rinks every weekend where they're focused and hyper-focused on hockey. And now it's going to change and they're going to look and go, wait a minute, there's something here that I can get on. Right. And, and that's what I see. Um, great point. I, I want to ask also about the Raptors championship, how that really galvanized everybody together. And you saw, you know, pictures and videos of multi-generational Canadian families watching the sport of basketball. It really does kind of bond everybody together. And it did bond everybody together. How special was that? And, and how do you see that with families and parents and kids and that connection that used to be like a hockey night in Canada thing? Now it's revolved around the Raptors. You use a word that it's really good, and that's multi-generational. I'll go one step further. Multicultural. Uh, that's the new Canada. And it's exciting. It's refreshing. Uh, and it's our sport. Our sport is multicultural. Our sport embraces it. Uh, we love it. Uh, you, you go to a Toronto Raptor game, I always said this, and here I am a New Yorker, uh, which is basically the melting pot of the world. Uh, my parents are immigrants from Ireland, but I grew up with kids from all parts of the, you know, the fabric of society, you name it. Uh, I've had incredible life experiences. And to me, uh, multicultural. And uh, you go to a Raptor game, it's like being at the United Nations. It really is. It's, it's, uh, and everyone's united behind that. So yes, multi-generational, but more importantly, multicultural. And I think everyone's welcome under the tent. It's inclusionary rather than exclusionary. And I think our sport uh, has done a really good job at the highest level down and the lowest level up of, of maybe embracing that mentality more than anything else. And I celebrate it. Uh, I'm, I'm proud to be part of it. 
and I'm excited of, of to where that's going because uh, unfortunately we're in a pandemic right now. But prior to the pandemic, and even even within the pandemic, when when you're at different uh, virtual events, uh, it's I just find it really really cool that you you see kids from different backgrounds in different parts of the world and Canada thankfully embraces immigration. Uh, and to me, you see kids that are first generation. I'm first generation in the United States, but I see kids, uh, their parents are from Pakistan or India or, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Latvia, whatever. And the opportunities that present themselves in Canada uh, are great. And, and yeah, there's challenges still that we have to work on improving. But I think our sport embraces you. And I think our sport provides opportunity and it provides hope because you see it. And and this campaign that you're talking about right now is all about that. It's all about, you know, parents and kids. I mean, I was out playing hoops with my six-year-old daughter and my 71-year-old mother on the weekend, you know? And, and I'm looking around and it's just, it's amazing to me. Uh, that that can happen and, and this campaign is really kind of all about that of 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 what this sport can teach the next generation and really can teach almost an older generation as well but it, it it's amazing how one sport so simple a ball and a hoop can 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 teach you so much about life isn't it yeah you know you're mentioning uh the dove men care uh campaign it's along with the toronto raptors and uh uh, it's wonderful. And basically what it is, it's, it's, it's encouraging fathers uh, through sport uh, to connect with their kids. And to me, I think uh, that's vital. Uh, and and I, I'm so excited to be associated with Dove and the Raptors on this campaign where uh, basically uh, f- families are able to reflect on the impact of, uh, of sport uh, on, on their lives and, and, you know, the relationship uh, between, uh, you know, a father and his daughter, a father and his son. And, uh, I, you know, my, uh, my wife was a division one head coach. My wife was the women's soccer coach at Niagara university and women's basketball assistant. That's how we met. Our kids played all sports. The best conversations I had, I, my wife and I adopted three boys, the best conversations I had with my sons many times were in the car driving shoulder to shoulder where you're both looking out and you just have conversations and you know sports not only builds character it reveals it. it 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 gives us incredible life lessons we have to look in the mirror and reflect on who we are what that lesson taught us or you and your daughter out uh shooting around having a few laughs and your mom being out there uh that's multi-generational that's fun but you know what stuff happens out there you, you talk smack uh, you you succeed, you fail, uh, you learn a lot about things. You sit and watch a, a game on the couch together. You go to a game together. Uh, you're able to observe the theater. You know the uh, you know it, it's theater right in front of you. And uh, to me, it's it's it it gives you an opportunity to really teach and mold and develop character and reveal character and say, hey, I got to improve at this. Or I really like what I'm doing here. Uh, you have role models, and it, it, I, I just I, I can't encourage dads enough uh, to really involve yourself with your children. And you don't have to be a coach. You don't have to be an overbearing parent. Uh, you just got to be there, and you got to be there for your kid when they win, and you got to keep them humble when they win. 
And then when they lose, you got to be there for them and give them a hug and pat them on the back too and say, you go get them, you know? And, and, uh, and because uh, I, I, heard, I read something years ago and it's so true, success and failure are both imposters. You know, it's like uh, dear, one of, my, uh, one of my many mentors in my coaching career, Luke Hanasek, the Hall of Fame coach uh, from St. John's University, he used to have a great line. He used to say, Peacock today. Feather dust tomorrow, you know. Like, uh, what do they say? It's a short trip from the penthouse to the outhouse. And my point is, you can't take yourself seriously, and you got to grind every day. What is excellence? Excellence is a habit, not an act. You can't be an actor. You can't be a con man. You got to have good daily habits, and over the course of time, that wins out. And and those are the lessons you try to teach your kids: is that. Hey, we're developing life skills. Forget, you know, sports skills develop life skills. You know, the resiliency and the toughness and the perseverance and you get knocked down. Yeah, you get right back up and you just keep going. And to me, I I just uh, the bet, you know, the best life lessons I've had, both good and bad, uh, were, were through sport and my best friends in my life. Uh, or, or people that, that I played sports with or coach with or whatever. And so to me, it's, uh, it's amazing. And I, I think as a dad, uh, it helps you then develop your daughter and son as a young lady, young man. And more importantly, uh, it, it, it bonds that relationship and it helps you to, you know, with uh, academic issues, all those kind of things. So uh, I think Dove and the Toronto Raptors through this campaign are really uh, committed to to try to really get people to kind of see the light and and open that door to uh, hey how do I how do I make more of an impact with my daughter or son? Jack Armstrong, thank you for coming on the NPH Hour. I look forward to crossing paths with you in person again sooner rather than later. Thanks, Coach. You got it. My pleasure. And I agree with you on the in-person. Let's fingers crossed we get through this. And I always say the night is always dark. It's just before the dawn. We're going to get through this. So uh, better days ahead. And uh, onward and upward we go. So uh, I look forward to it. And uh, keep your daughter playing hoops. And uh, make sure your mom, uh, she's out there. How's her jump shot, by the way? Finally taught her how to line up the hand behind the ball, and uh, she was very impressed by that. I've been shooting it wrong for about 70 years. So, Well, you know, the bottom line is at 71, she's got a long, long <laughs> road, ahead, road ahead of us. So, hey, as I always joke, you don't want to peak too early, right? So <laughs> she's, she's on her way to bigger and better things. Thanks, Coach. We'll catch up soon. You got it. My pleasure. The Dove Men Care Bonding Over Basketball Contest runs until May 13th. You can submit your stories on the Raptors app for a chance to win some great prizes. We're out of time this week. Find us at NorthBullHoops.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Until next time, this is Jason Tom. I hope you enjoy the NPH Hour on News Talk Saga, 960 AM.